1: Back, welcoming back returning guest Jared Yates Sexton of the Muckrake Podcast. Thank you for dropping back in, Jared. Hey, thanks for having me. You're the co host of the Muckrake Podcast, along with Nick Houselman, but more importantly, for our purposes, the author of the book American Rule. And now I've listened to that book on Audible, I've just finished it the second time this last week, and I'm really glad I did in preparation for talking about this book with you. So I've got a lot of questions. I hope you're you're ready to start really diving into your book
0: yeah I, I appreciate that and and it's weird i i really wanted to narrate that book so it's odd right. to think about right, you just spent some time with a stranger reading my work and complete stranger. i have to too. imagine him
1: in like an audio booth being like what in the hell is going on in this <laughs> thing yeah. what's he talking about yeah i'm glad like i said i'm glad i listened to it twice it's good because i've got an hour's drive commute each way to work So that gives me a good amount of time to really, you know, it's not like five minutes here, 10 minutes there. I can really sink my teeth into what you're talking about for a good hour each morning and each evening when I go home. So it's good because when I listen to it the first time, there's so much information. It's kind of overwhelming, isn't it? It's like, Oh my God, I've got to remember this and this and this, but this time I'm like, okay, I I want to pick out sort of the central thesis, the argument of the book, and that's what we can talk about. So I'm really interested to get into what you what sort of led you to write the book in the first place
0: well you know i it's kind of weird to talk about like to to talk about why you're in a position you're you're in and why you're doing the work that you're doing um the only reason that you and i are talking right now and that anybody has any idea who i am is because uh back in 2015 and 2016 i started going to political rallies and, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to write some sort of like independent press sort of like collection of essays about the 2016 election. I thought it was going to be boring as hell. I thought it was going to be Hillary Clinton versus Jeb Bush. And I almost thought it was going to be a study of like one of the most boring presidential elections of all time. And then all of a sudden, like I started finding myself going into Trump rallies and I started to realize that there was something weird happening in these Trump rallies, like Mm. there was something building and it was ugly and dangerous and that it was also starting to radicalize people like my family. And I I went viral because like back in the day when people go into Trump rallies, it was just like journalists were in this weird pen in the middle of the Mm. of the floor. And we don't like to talk about this anymore. But the media networks loved airing Trump's speeches, and they would air them two, two and a half hours, three if he wanted to go three, and they would just let him go and go and go because the ratings went up because people wanted Mm -hmm. to see what crazy shit he was going to say. But they weren't out on the floor they weren't talking to people, they weren't listening to what was going on. And I was able to sort of report that there was a racist, nationalistic, cult-like, fascistic atmosphere starting to build up. Well, so I started reporting on that. And almost immediately, like, I, I kind of gained this platform. But my understanding of politics, it was what we would call you you would say I was, you know, a leftist on the spectrum or, you know, whatever you want to say. Like I was the kind of person who was like marching against the Iraq war in 2003. Mm -hmm. I had a healthy skepticism of government and politics, but my understanding of politics and the history of America was very conventional. Like it was like, you know, something that was like a little bit left of what you might see on a CNN, you know, and I would see Mm -hmm. CNN, I like, this is conventional history, whatever. But Watching not just Donald Trump get elected in 2016, but watching the forces of uh, fascism sort of grow in America, I lacked the, the language. I lacked the understanding to really understand what it was that I was witnessing. And um, so I needed to throw myself into it. I needed to understand it. I needed to go a little bit deeper because the old stories of American history and politics weren't working anymore. They were fracturing and, and falling apart. And I realized like a lot of people um, that there was something behind the veneer, that there was a history out there that I didn't know and that I needed to educate myself in, in a hurry. And so this book was me re-educating myself and learning actual what we would call deep politics or mm. the actual history of America.
1: Right. That's fascinating. Yeah, because I remember the introduction to the book. That was kind of how it all started, wasn't it? Somebody asked you, I think it might have been at a book signing or something, and said, hey, uh, that a guy like Trump could get elected, doesn't that show that there's something deeply wrong with America? And you had an answer, You had kind of a stock answer, you know, and you, you checked off the points. But on the way, on the way home, you're thinking, oh, wait a minute, there's got to be more to this. You know, something like uh, Barbara Tuckman, she says, you know, the fact that World War One happened, it's like a fever chart for a patient in a hospital. It tells us something, but it doesn't tell us how the guy got the fever. We got to dig a a lot deeper to figure out how the hell something like this happens. And the stock answers just didn't work anymore.
0: Yeah, because of the story of America. and, And this is something that I, it feels like we're starting to wake up from. Like it feels like there's a course correction that's happening. And, and, and the reason that's happening is because our financial and political structures are completely falling apart. And when they start falling apart, all of a sudden people are like, oh, something doesn't make sense here. And these old stories and mythologies, the American dream that every generation is going to have it better than the other generation. And if you work hard enough and you're talented enough, you're going to get what's coming to you and the meritocracy exists, all that stuff. Um, but it's it's not true. And when when I started looking at it, like my original idea, and tell me if this sounds familiar. It's 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 what I call like a Ken Burns or a CNN type history, mm. right? And the idea is that how you get to Donald Trump is through the tumult of the 1960s, 1970s, right? And then you get into Nixon and the Southern strategy and you suddenly have like the Democrats versus the Republicans. And you sort of get to this point where there's still a racial reckoning
1: and an Mm. economic reckoning to happen. Yeah, deeply polarized country and all the rest of it. Yeah, right.
0: But, But the problem there is that you're creating these artificial firewalls And you're like, no, this starts in the 1960s, 1970s. And if you look at it with a critical eye, well, the next question is, what happened in the 50s? Right? And then Mm -hmm. there's that other firewall, which is, oh, you know, World War II. And we know what happened in World War II. That's a very easily digestible story. Mm -hmm. And then you start looking at that and you're like, what do historians say about this? And historians are like, World War II did not happen in any way, shape, or form the way that we thought it did. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you start having neo-Nazi hordes marching through America, that doesn't make sense until you start to understand and find once you scratch down the surface that fascism and Nazism was in part birthed in America, which is not something that any of our classes are ever going to touch on whatsoever. And then it's just a hop and a skip and a jump before you go back into the 1860s. And then all of a sudden the question in the mind is, well, what happened in 1776? And so all of a sudden, by working backwards from the schism of the mythology, I started to realize there is a much, much deeper thread that runs through this country. And to be honest, it splintered my my entire reality,
1: to be honest. Absolutely. It struck me, too, that your book has a lot of parallels with Kurt Anderson's Fantasyland. And I think, okay, he talks about the same idea that yeah. America was basically founded on a fantasy. Let's be honest, you know, they talked about gold and jewels laying around on the beaches. You could just walk around and pick it up, man. And it was yeah. going to be wonderful and amazing as a colony. And, and you can be whatever you want. And he goes off into this whole thing about America. You can be who you want, do what you want. You can be a cosplayer, you can do Disneyland. You, you know, so many things start. And once you accept that sort of paradigm, you go, well, where is, what is the founding story? <laughs> and you talk about that, the noble lie. You have all these, you know, the cult of the shining city and the American myth and all this. It all goes back to that noble lie of Plato. What, what's that all about?
0: Well, what, so one, some of the stuff that we're talking about is actually going to be influenced a little bit. So the book that I'm writing right now is like, I went from the American story to a reconsideration of Western civilization, mm. starting from Rome to the present. Right. So like and and here's the thing, How far back, back to those, do you go, <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I went back to you know the turning of modern history, and what you end up finding out is exactly what I was saying about the firewalls like it's it's you got to go to the point before, and that explains this before, but so this idea of the noble lie, particularly with plato and um. The ideas of Plato have just infected political society uh, for as long as there's been political societies. And, and basically you can use Plato to rationalize anything. I mean, you, know, you, can, create, uh, you can create a liberal democracy, you can create a fascist society, uh, you can you know, use it to um, legitimize genocide and slavery or the freeing of countries, however you wanna do it. But the noble lie is this idea that narratives and mythologies are what construct the glue of society. Like for whatever a society is, whatever a nation is, whatever a nation state is, whatever a country is, what keeps it together is this idea of, of meritocracy, right? It's the idea that we are a special people, right? And, and this goes back to, of course, with uh, Winthrop, with the City on the Hill, mm-hmm. which actually was nothing more than a marketing ploy. I mean, Winthrop, as he's leading settlers over to America, he's doing so as a corporate exercise. And he's like, oh, this is a Christian mission. Don't worry. what well, you know, Baptize we have a lot of
1: yeah, yeah, we sanctified. have God on our
0: side. And then they yeah, end I'm up over here and they start like eating one another. But that's neither <laughs> here there. But you know, it's this story that all nations tell themselves. And what I've come to understand is that this is also buried in a larger process called ethnogenesis, mm. which is where People just, they, they come together as a group and if you draw a boundary around them or you draw like a, a, a section of them around, they start coming up with stories about how they are particular and singular and special and what combines them, right? So the idea of the big lie is that we Americans are a one people with a special destiny, and that there is a system of power that, you know, there, there there are hierarchies. There are people who have more money and more power and more influence, but they've earned it. Like, don't question whether or not they've earned it. And meanwhile, don't worry, just because you're lower on the rung doesn't mean that you're going to stay lower on the rung. Because God and destiny will pluck you up and move you to where you deserve to be. And just to go ahead and go uh, jump back a little back in history, this actually is like another idea called the great chain of being, Mm -hmm. which is this way that we order society and we say, you know, it used to be God, the Pope, priest kings da, 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 da. and then all of a sudden kings jump up and all of a sudden merchants jump up and it's a reordering of these hierarchies mm-hmm. and in america um we have a very specific noble lie which has been used to enslave carry out genocide exploit people economically and socially and um has turned us into um the only way i can say it is it turned us into a, a really horrific problem
1: in in the course of, of human events I was going to say you have a lot of keywords that come up over and over in the book. So you, you could plug in American exceptionalism, the cult of the shining city, manifest destiny, Christian nationalism. All seem to fit those that noble lie, doesn't it? All those concepts fit into that. You can say we are the sh- shining city on a hill. America is different. We're blessed by God. We're we're supposed to spread the gospel, you know, from a Christian point of view to the rest of the world. But yet. How do you justify enslaving Africans and committing genocide and land stealing from Native Americans? I mean, those are the two most glaring uh, examples that give the lie to the noble lie, don't they? Well, and it's kind of, um, it's really
0: disturbing, again, jumping back and forth between these things and sort of finding the parallels. It's really disturbing, too, when you start realizing that the colonization projects, particularly in, like, the 15th century and moving forward, this is not only where we see enslavement, genocide, uh, you know, these colonization projects that, like, destroy cultures and Mm -hmm. force people into labor and wipe people out. Um, That was all done under the auspices of spreading the Christian religion. That was all about... It was all about, quote unquote, civilizing savages, which meant that, and, and if you actually, it's it's really bizarre when you look at it and you start staring it in the face, that you have all these emerging capitalistic systems that are about taking their resources and turning them into capital and, and power. Mm-hmm. All of those people of color and who are being colonized and and eradicated, they all live in sort of um, non-capitalist societies where they take care of each other and they're not worried about property and they're very concerned about sustainability and not overextending themselves and sharing power. They get steamrolled and they get steamrolled by the idea that these colonial powers are spreading the word of God. Mm -hmm. And this is... Uh, I, the, the idea of this, um, you know, sort of uh, monolithic religion is, is an incredible weapon. It's almost, if not more powerful than gunpowder in the conquering mm. of the world. And what you actually end up seeing is that capitalism as we know it is completely based on it, which is, well, we give them, there's even a quote. It's like, we give them religion. They give us precious stones, And, you know, it's like, what a a trade, right? You know, wonderful. And meanwhile, the religion that you're being taught also instills the idea of white supremacy and that you should be subordinate and, you know, do the labor and maybe you'll have a paradise in the future. Who knows? Mm -hmm. And then America, weirdly enough, uh, America starts having this idea of an identity, Right, this city on the hill, or the idea that Americans have a special sort of purpose. And even in England around the time of the American Revolution, uh, actually, I take that back. I'm, I'm trying really hard to not call it a revolution anymore. Oh, yeah. It's War of Independence. That's what they call it here. It is, you know, it's so funny. It's so hard to make yourself stop doing that. That's true. And it's not a revolution yeah, at it's all. A... Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's a merchant event where the merchants and the wealthy white men in america decide that they don't want to pay taxes and that they want to be in charge of their own economic freedoms Mm -hmm. so they throw off their colonizing origins it's not a revolution at all really Mm -hmm. so as the american war for independence is being raged even people in britain like edmund burke are like Oh, look at our ancestors, they've tamed this wild land and they're declaring their independence. What a wonderful thing. Maybe in the future, Americans will go out and colonize and tame other civilizations like we have. So it, it, it is very much a racial hereditary idea and it all culminates in the idea that God smiles upon the white race and that God smiles upon men and God smiles upon capitalists who dominate markets and this is this is the truth behind the big lie. The big lie is there 's a big cosmic story in destiny that 's taking place, but what 's actually true is that the people who are dominating these things are using that lie in order to hide their uh, their unethical and and
1: cruelties They can justify it can 't they yeah. i don 't know if you 've seen it, but I just finished watching a series fascinating series by Raoul Peck. It's called, yeah, it's called Exterminate All the Brutes. And he says, and I, I was watching it, I thought, oh, that's exactly what Jared says in the book, that all these civilizations have a, a lie that they tell themselves to justify their actions. And he traces it back to the Spanish Inquisition. And that's right around that same time of that, you see the, the start of the colonization from the European superpowers. And he said that that was the first time sort of, a, it was official policy where race was based on blood as well as obviously your skin color, as they were trying to run the Jews and the Arabs out of Spain. And from there, that ideology just spreads. The white supremacy its baked in, isn't it? And it's baked into a, a, the American system. And we're seeing that. We've seen it. Trump was a racist, and it, it never cost him anything. If anything, it gained him followers. <laughs> it's
0: just unbelievable. Yeah, and, the, and the amazing thing, and this goes back to Trump, and, and one of the things You know, I've had a lot of people, man, I I was just laughing about this last night, thinking of all of Trump's greatest hits, like all of the absurdities for years that we had to pretend like were anything even approaching normal. You know, I had to psychoanalyze that dude for years, trying to understand who he was, what he meant to the movement, why he was held up as a messiah to all these people. And that's a different topic. But if you got Donald Trump in a room and you talked to him about, and, and you gave him like truth serum, right? And he said, are you a white supremacist? He'd be like, oh my God, no, no, I'm not a white supremacist. Yeah. I'm the least say, racist person you've ever right? seen. He would, tell not you I'm he, not, he would tell you I'm the least racist person, but he would also in the same breath, talk about the fact that like the white race is probably superior to other races. Mm-hmm. It's just realism, right? And the so- it is what we've actually dealt with is that the noble lie was used to such success to people who, um, they wanted to basically delude their own, you know, broken consciences over what they were doing and how they were exploiting people. They made up a ton of stories, and one of the stories, And right now in my book, I just, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the colonization thing and like, as they're inventing rapes because race is an absolute invention Mm -hmm. as they're inventing race watching them sort of try and figure out how to do it is fascinating because what you see is they start talking about africans and they're like oh it's okay that we enslave the africans because they're the children of ham and for anybody who is unfamiliar with this there's this you know story within the bible that noah after the flood gets shit drunk passes out he gets caught naked by his son ham who mm. covers him up for his modesty which by the way good for him isn't that the right thing to do right and because <laughs> he not. embarrassed his his father his no drunken one, father his drunken father <laughs> yeah, let's not forget him to be a servant and his descendants to be servants so the europeans are like well we are enslaving these people so obviously they deserve to be enslaved they must be the children of ham yeah just a divine and, order Right. And then yeah. you actually, you start to watch as science develops and they start creating pseudosciences. Mm-hmm. Some people are arguing that, um, you know, there's one race. We all sprung from Adam and Eve, but Adam and Eve were obviously white. And so how do you get other, you know, people of different colors? And the answer is that they've degenerated, right? And mm-hmm. as a result, they like sinners need to be raised up. And so what you end up having in America is a weird white supremacy that I don't think most people understand. When people hear white supremacy, they think, oh, people who use slurs or -hmm. people who hate, you know. But in fact, there is a strain, a very virulent American strain of white supremacy that thinks that their racism is affection and paternal. Mm -hmm. And that and this goes back to what we're talking about in terms of how they, they negotiate these things in their heads. They think that African-Americans or Black people are inferior or they're, they're easily led astray. And so as a result, they have to be protected. This is how a lot of people rationalize that Black people were better under slavery. They had someone to watch after them and make mm. sure that they were safe and give them their things. And now, all of a sudden, let's bring religion into this, and let's bring statism into this. Mm. This is how you get conspiracy theories. The conspiracy theory from, from time immemorial has always been that your particular blessed state is under attack by three things. One, there are puppet masters, which means Jewish people, right? Or, or say yeah. Satanic people. They are aided, and it's a triangle. It's always a triangle. The other side of it are liberal traitors within, right, who are going to ruin your country and betray you because they are ultimately evil and or naive. And then there are people of color who don't know any better, and they're going to be so manipulated, and they're going to be turned into dangerous hordes because of manipulation from the traitors, liberals, and the puppet masters or the Jews. That is a Christian fiction it is the mm-hmm. idea that Christians at all times are fighting a supernatural battle against the forces of evil and Satan. Yeah. And, and, and so what you end up having is the United States of America believing that they have a special destiny, that they are fighting an evil alliance through conspiracies. And mm-hmm. that's how you end up, not just in 2016, but through all of these moments in American
1: history. Mm-hmm. It struck me yeah, as I was going through the book, what you just said, once you understand that paradigm and start to look at American history through that lens or that model, it all starts to make sense, I think, because look at the Declaration of Independence. It's the language is right there. You know, all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Uh, we rebelled against the British. We said, you can't enslave us. And so we, we were right to rebel but then we could turn around and enslave Africans and commit genocide against Native Americans. Everything is it's going against the Declaration of Independence. Well, and I'll we we it, for. for it. And
0: so the book I'm writing right now, like it is basically American rule is going to fit within it. You know what I mean? Like they, you're basically mm-hmm. going to need to read both of these books. I'm sorry, everyone. I, I don't know what to tell you. They, have they interlock the like one. Legos. I don't know. But, you know, I was just researching because I started this book in 1776 american rule begins as america declares independence. well so i needed to go a couple years before and here's what i've found in terms of how the american revolution i'm god
1: every
0: time what do you want to call it (laughs) the war for independence there you go it's based on a conspiracy theory Mm -hmm. not just that the the british are looking to enslave americans but guess what they have allies and the allies are black people because they're trying to make slaves revolt and Mm. rise up and kill their white masters and native americans they are making deals with the native americans and and you even see in the declaration of independence that these are the crimes that are leveled against the king so of course you have to fight a war for independence because if you don't you're going to be destroyed right Mm. so obviously you have to quote unquote cast off your chains and here's the thing The black slaves were going to help your enemy. The Native Americans were going to help your enemy. They are your enemies. Mm -hmm. So they don't deserve a piece of that pie. They don't deserve to even be treated as humans. And so what ends up happening is, again, the mindset goes ahead and sets the course. You don't have to give these people rights. You don't have to treat them with basic human dignity. They are threats. They have to be neutralized. And so any preventative violence that you can visit on them is necessary because you are simply
1: protecting yourself and protecting the holy mission that you're on. Mm -hmm. You're just maintaining the divine order. If that's how God has set the whole thing up, yeah, we're not in the wrong to enslave and commit genocide. Well, and you talk about that too, the civil war, Isn't, isn't that an example The issue of slavery, from kind of from the beginning, it was a problem for certain people saying, I'm not sure we should give some of these states rights to have slaves. They just kept kicking that can down the road, and eventually it came to a head. But then off the back of that, you see these narratives coming out. The North is like, we were right, God's on our side, we beat the South, we've erased the stain of slavery from America, we can move forward now. The South is doing the, they're doing the lost cause thing saying, you know, we were actually right. Slaves, they didn't have it so bad. They didn't know how good they had it down here. <laughs> you know, God was actually on our side. I mean, completely different narratives well, off the back and, of that. And event. What's, what's
0: amazing about that, and, and there are so many things. well I, I can spend a few hours talking about the Civil War and what I learned about it. Like, when, when you get taught the Civil War in America, we spend all of our time talking about battles. Mm-hmm. Like, like because and because what ends up happening... Is you don't want to talk about how the Civil War actually got started. You don't want to talk about who Abraham Lincoln. Is actually was Uh, What he believed (laughs) what he actually believed you don't want to talk about the scourge of white supremacy and southern slavery and and all the things that led to it and how it was a breakdown that by the way it looks a lot like what we're dealing with right now Mm -hmm. you don't want to talk about all that so instead you talk about battles and you can praise both sides for their military genius right oh Mm -hmm. this maneuver and oh my god robert e lee looks so handsome on a horse right But. What we're actually doing is we have completely lost the thread on the fact that the Civil War was made absolutely uh, inevitable by the founding of the country. And what you saw was a bunch of, a lot of them were white wealthy slaveholders themselves. Uh, When you actually look at how the Constitution was framed, it's madness. James Mm -hmm. Madison got there before everybody else. He didn't have authority To write a new constitution. That's not what the quote unquote constitutional convention was meeting to do. And he just went ahead and did it. And then, in order to pull off what a lot of people have now determined to be a coup d'etat, you had to make all of these concessions to the South and so what ends up happening is you tell the south you are basically going to have complete control over american politics you're going to have the electoral college on your side we're going to have the three-fifths compromise and then the south is in charge it's picking all the presidents it holds the levers of power and then you get to the point where populations start to change and all of a sudden industry starts to come out the south wanted to remain an agrarian society for forever it was the dream of Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. They, were just gonna, they were gonna provide cotton and indigo or whatever else, and the whatever. rest of the world would go ahead and industrialize it and move forward. Well, eventually the politics start shifting and the, the Southerners, they're like, we're not going to give up slavery. And in order to protect slavery, they're going into Congress with knives. You know, they're like, they're like ready for brawls. We're having (laughs) literal fights on the floor of Congress. And that's because the Republican Party forms and is like, we're going to fight this. We are not going to let slavery expand. And it's not because they love black people. It's Mm -hmm. not because they wanted to free the slaves. They wanted political and economic control. They did not want to cede it to the South as it moved further West so what ends up happening is, again, much like the situation we're in now, as tensions increase, the South spreads a bunch of conspiracy theories. John Brown and people like John Brown, like, create a sense of fear. There are, you know, cabals who are trying to undermine yeah. the South and its power. And so we have to, we have to secede. We have to. Meanwhile, Abraham Lincoln is treated like he's this great abolitionist. He had no interest in freeing the slaves. And if he did free the slaves, and he said constantly that he was a white supremacist, he yeah. wanted to export them out of yeah. America. Ship them all back to where they came from or somewhere Ship else. Them all out. We can't yeah. live together. And, and one of the craziest things I found is when he meets with Frederick Douglass, he's like, we must part. And Douglass is like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm an <laughs> American. Like, I don't yeah. want to yeah. leave. And Lincoln is shocked. And then, of course, we end up beating the South, and Lincoln gets killed the week of Easter. We have this Black Easter situation where Abraham Lincoln becomes American, America's Jesus. Yeah, figure. he's the Messiah in a way, isn't he? Yeah, and then all of a sudden, the Great Lie takes on this new form, which is you have the Holy Trinity. You have George Washington as the father, Abraham Lincoln as the son and the Messiah mm-hmm. and American patriotism as the Holy ghost. And America is born anew. The sin of racism is completely scrubbed out. Although uh, reconstruction is completely aborted and yeah. undermined. And then eventually, and this goes forward with Woodrow Wilson, one of the worst figures that I came across in all my research and just an absolutely mm-hmm. abysmal, terrible human being uh, who is a Southern apologist. He completely launders the idea of the South and white supremacy and turns that into this new 20th century propaganda push for American exceptionalism. And he hides our racism, he hides the inequality, and
1: it creates this toxic cesspool that we're still sort of living in. Mm-hmm. We well, were mentioning, you didn't say it by name, but you were talking about essentially the Protestant work ethic, yep. the whole idea that it's a basic prosperity gospel that goes back to calvin maybe before him but the idea that if you're financially successful that must be the sim- sign that god is blessing you so these guys like dabney and then wilson and other people they could say look i mean america is the most blessed nation in the world we're the strongest we're the most powerful militarily blah 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 that's got to be proof that god has blessed us but the fact that we own slaves how can god bless that if it's evil so they've got to do something to justify why. And then you go into that white supremacy piece, don't you? You say, well, it's just the divine order, man. You know, the mark of Ham, he was cursed, or Cain was cursed with black skin and all the rest of it. It's all built into the Bible so they could explain it all away and somehow say, God, that's why God's blessing us. It's not a sin. It's 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 right, even we're doing the right thing. Well, and the and the crazy thing about all of it is the reason why
0: America emerged as the superpower is because of geography it's it's because uh, multiple reasons one europe is tightly packed and as a result tensions get bad real fast
1: yeah for a long time
0: (laughs) and and you know it's like going back to um what I've been researching is like, when I got to the Crusades, I thought I knew about the Crusades. Mm. And then what you end up finding out is that Europe was just absolutely engulfed in all these small civil wars and was threatening to kill itself. And the Pope was like, hey,
1: stop fighting. You Go take yeah. Jerusalem. There's a better enemy. I'll give you an enemy. And 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 he says it. He he
0: says it in so many words. He says, Let's have crusades. And then, like, five paragraphs in, he's like, We don't have many resources here. They have a lot. So go ahead and push your fighting over there. So Europe, Europe's wars, and there are many, are all about you reach a point of internal tensions, and so you need to move. over the border and you need to have this fight and and so that's where the tensions go they push on the outside america had the west we just continually had further and further that we could push sure we had to commit genocide right but guess what the white supremacist god told us that that was great and perfect and and it's not destiny It's not a coincidence that the genocide of the Native American people coincided with the rise of romantic ideals Mm. or the romanticization of the Anglo-Saxon. Like all these people at the time, as we're slaughtering the Native Americans, are about how great the white race is and how it will inherit the earth. So America just keeps going west, just continually. And, And what happens is I'm your neighbor you're my neighbor, we hate each other. In Europe, we might kill each other. In America, I pick up my my, my, my covered wagon and I'm going to go, you know, 10 miles that way and all homestead over there. Well, eventually, of course, Europe destroys itself with two world wars. America is left relatively standing and on top of that our mobilized, you know, military and infrastructure and consumer society is going off. So what ends up happening is, American power is based on economics and it's based on location and this ability to sort of like vent our tensions. Those are the true stories. Those are the material conditions of why we had power. But that's not sexy. That doesn't make people (laughs) sit and watch a parade go by. What makes a parade go by and what makes people excited about America is this legend that obviously we are wealthy and powerful. We control so much. That must mean that we are chosen. That must mean that we are the arbiters of God's will and the universe's will. So then all of a sudden, you create an entirely separate reality where you are the hero of history. And if someone disagrees with you, they must be against you. And they must be part of the evil conspiracy (laughs) against you. And so what we did was we warped reality. We literally warped reality as we conquered the world. And Mm. now that story is running out of gas, as stories do, because they
1: can only last so long. When we come back from the break with Jared Yates Sexton, we're going to get into some more of the modern history. We're going to look at this noble lie, the American myth in terms of how it relates to the explanations for world war one world war two korea vietnam once you start to see that paradigm that's my argument you read his book if you haven't read it already read american rule and it starts to make sense you can then interpret those kind of things one of the things i really wish we'd had time to get into was the spanish-american war and that's one of the first wars of expansion the colonial wars that america starts to fight with spain And that turns into a really ugly war in the Philippines. We end up getting the colonies of the Philippines and Puerto Rico. And around the same time, we're claiming Hawaii. A lot of imperialism going on around the end of the 19th century in america and on into the early 20th century so maybe we can get into that next time i will just say too that there's a really good episode of dan carlin's hardcore history where he takes a really deep dive into the spanish-american war and dan explains a lot of the same kind of thing that jared and i are talking about How this noble lie doesn't work when you see things like America getting involved in a war with Spain that then turns into some absolutely shocking human rights violations in the Philippines as we're attempting to quote unquote liberate them so that's an interesting study right there for sure we're also going to get into the reagan era and how he was sort of a precursor to a donald trump and how that set the stage for the modern day republican party and what we're seeing now post trump although trumpism has certainly not gone away has it so we're going to dissect that again in light of this myth of the american lie the noble lie Now, I wanted to mention really quickly a big thank you to Howard Miller. He's the latest supporter of this show on Patreon. And in fact, speaking of Patreon, you can have access to our wonderful monthly MindShift Zoom calls that we had. I'm in talks right now with Jared Yates Sexton. We're hoping to have him back our next MindShift Zoom call. We're just working out the dates, and I'll announce that as soon as I can. And in fact, in June, we're going to have Emily Elizabeth Anderson coming back in. We had an episode not too long ago talking about Bill Gothard, ATI, Josh Duggar. So she's going to be our guest in the month of June. So we're looking at maybe having Jared in sometime in July, dropping back in as our guest. So that's going to be amazing. And we also do patrons only calls. We've got one coming up in early June. So you can be a part of those calls by supporting the show on Patreon. You'll also get early access to all the episodes a few days before they drop publicly, which is a really cool benefit. And then, of course, we have to talk about what's coming up in the next few episodes. I've had some just fascinating discussions this week as I'm doing this recording. The other day, I talked to Dr. Audrey Claire Farley. She wrote a fascinating piece about Dr. James Dobson, who, of course, is the founder of the Focus on the Family and uh, the Family Research Council. He's been a huge figure in the Christian right, for decades now, going back to the early 70s. And she's done a lot of research on his connection with eugenics and a guy named Paul Popeno, who was one of America's leading eugenicists back around 1910, 1920 in California. So there's a really fascinating connection there. And then I talked to Daniel Phelps the other day. He's a survivor of the World Revival Center cult out of Kansas City. And we had a fascinating discussion about the history of that church slash cult. So that's coming up as well. And then we rounded out the week. I was on a couple of different podcasts this week, had a discussion with some of the guys from the Still Unbelievable podcast. We had David Hayward, the naked pastor drop in, as well as David Johnson. And then I was on the Left at the Valley podcast on Sunday night. So look for those episodes coming out. The one really cool thing about the one with the Still Unbelievable podcast is we got into the subject of racism and the church so I reached out to David Johnson, who's the host of the Skeptics and Seekers podcast, and we're going to have him come in next month as well as he, we're going to be joined by Seven out of Jacksonville, Florida. If you remember him, we did an episode a couple months ago talking about the racism and the church abuse he experienced when he was a pastor on staff at a megachurch in Jacksonville. So we're going to have David Johnson and Seven come together, and we're going to take a deep dive into the history of the church and racism so that is going to be an absolutely fascinating conversation coming up so i'm looking forward to chatting with those two guys so really cool stuff coming down the pipeline and then i'm in talks with frank schaefer as well as tim sledge and david hayward and dan barker of the freedom from religion foundation we're looking at doing some facebook live events on my mindship podcast facebook page so look for those coming up i'll be announcing when those are going to air on facebook so Keep an eye out for those discussions coming up. I want to try and do more live Facebook events, and I think that's cool to get some more listener engagement. And in fact, last thing, before we get back into the chat with Jared, I wanted to say, speaking of listener engagement, I've had a lot of questions on my YouTube channel from different listeners, different subscribers, and I'm thinking now let's do a listener question episode so if you send me your questions anything could be on anything could be about de- deconstruction christian nationalism christian reconstructionism the christian right anything really throw me your questions what you can do is go on the mind Shift podcast facebook page which is the public page and you'll see a button that says send email so when you do that i will get it to my private email so please send me your listener questions we're going to do a dedicated episode just on the subject of listeners questions whatever comes up I'm really fascinated to hear from people and sort of go through their questions. So let's get on back into the conversation with Jared Yates Sexton as we continue to take a look at this issue of American rule, unpacking the noble lie of American exceptionalism. And once you see that, like we say, you see that paradigm, it explains so much, doesn't it? Because I was thinking when you went through the periods of World War One, World War Two, Korea, we could we could come out of those three wars and say, oh, We won, we were fighting things like Nazism and you know in World War One, imperialism, and we stood up to the Kaiser, we beat the Germans twice, we put Hitler in his place and all the rest of it. We we won Korea, we pushed them back over the 38th parallel, and then comes Vietnam. like uh we lost that one what the hell's going on it didn't fit the noble lie did it? it the other ones you could you could make sense of it and say we're the heroes we're the world policemen and all the rest of it then vietnam and some of these other ones don't seem to fit you end up with places like uh well the iran contra scandal and on and on and on meddling in south american governments holy shit man this thing gets really ugly really fast doesn't it yeah when you go back it's it's almost like there's um you know, there's almost like
0: a fire that takes place like post Vietnam, because we don't handle losing well, right? Because it has to be a conspiracy. And that's, that's how it gets laundered. There's obviously an evil conspiracy that has hurt America over the last 50 years, right? But then all of a sudden you start trailing back and you start realizing some really weird shit. You start realizing that we inspired Nazism you start realizing that you know in all actuality hitler didn't actually want to go to war with america he admired america Mm -hmm. and he was looking at our eugenics laws he was looking at our racial hierarchies he was looking at the genocide of the native americans the enslavement uh, of, of black americans and actually like he wanted to unite the white races against the quote-unquote rising tide of color, which, by the way, comes from a book written by an American. Uh A (laughs) best-selling book that inspired, like, by a guy who, like, testified to Congress, you know, in, in, like, immigration laws. And all of a sudden, then you look at America prior to Pearl Harbor, Americans dug Nazism and Americans Mm -hmm. dug fascism. We had very, very large... Movements in America, Mm -hmm. And, and all of a sudden, one thing starts to happen, which is you start looking at like the 30s, and then you start thinking about now, where it's like, no, there's no fascism in America, Americans are immune to it. But then all of a sudden, you start realizing we've had multiple fascistic movements in this country we've had proto fascism, we've had fascism, we've had neo fascism, we are ripe for it. And when you start to recognize that, and then um, you beat the Nazis, sure, but you also carry out God knows how many war crimes. And then as soon as you defeat the Nazis, you're like, hey, Nazis, come on over to this side. We got you. And then then you start fighting communism and you start fighting communism. And not only Nazis, something I just found, you start bringing in like Japanese uh, 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 units That are like experimenting on people. That's how we start our bioweapons program. Mm -hmm. The Nazis are how we get our space program and our weapons programs. And you start realizing you're like, oh, this ain't clean. This ain't good. This doesn't clean. It's far from clean. And then all of a sudden you get in the Cold War with that understanding, and you're like, we took the world to the brink of extinction. And for what? Nobody won the cold war, everybody lost the cold war. Yeah. And then you end up where we're at now, the standard of living is down, human dignity is almost non-existent. I mean, our po- our political structure is crumbling by the day. And you start asking, what was this for? What what was the purpose? Like if 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 these were if 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 the if this hegemonic project was for something, can somebody explain what it was for? Because there are no real, actual, tangible, good moral victories to actually look at. And it starts to look a lot like a, a, a tyrannical
1: role. It really does. Especially as you lay out in the book, you talk about that, you say, okay, so we beat Hitler, we're the clear victors, God's on our side. And then, oh, here comes Stalin and the Soviet Union. Now we're in the Cold War. We're the good guys. I mean, Billy Graham turned around and said in, I think it was 1940s, right after World War II, the future war is about it's between communism and Christianity. (laughs) Billy Graham said that. But then the Cold War ended. Where do you go from there? Now we've got terrorism, the war on terror. You've got George W. Bush saying after 9-11, this is a crusade, using that word. And that brings up exactly what it was intended to bring up. Christians versus the Muslims in the Crusades. I mean, it was not an accidental choice to use that word, was it, surely? And then you think, okay, how many billions, no, trillions have we spent on Iraq and Afghanistan that could have been used to that crumbling infrastructure you talked about? Why is America in such a shit, shit storm? Well, I mean, just the money that we've spent on these wars that have accomplished what? For what? What have they yeah, done and- for us?
0: And, and this is one of those things that, you know, as I wrote the book and as like it really came into full form, one of the questions at the heart of the book that I, I touch on a little bit, but I, I it, it constantly is branded on on my mind, which is what is a nation, and why is it that when we talk about nations, we talk about it like it's a collection of individuals, but the individuals aren't taken care of right like like the whole idea of a nation is it's supposed to be all of you together providing and protecting and staving off threats and all of this but that's not true what ends up happening is that the the noble lie that we talked about oh we're all one we're a special race um you know we have a meritocracy don't worry Mm -hmm. it works that noble lie has been completely co-opted by the wealthy and the powerful. I mean, that's always been the case. But in this particular instance, in America, you have a country that has more or less been co-opted as a military-industrial complex. I mean, Mm -hmm. what do we do? What do we produce? Weapons and war. That's all we've got anymore. Literally. And you (laughs) actually start looking... You start looking at everything from the prosperity gospel to, I mean, even the satanic panic of the 80s mm-hmm. and early 90s. Those are all covers for redistribution of wealth mm-hmm. and the ability for the government to send money away from the people and towards Conquering projects and redistribution of wealth to the top. And so these things are actually about material conditions. It's about whether or not somebody has more money than other people or more influence than another. We also went ahead. I mean, we're now living in this complete dystopia where corporations have sort of outgrown nations. Yeah, they, 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 they they now straddle multiple nations, so they don't really have to pay anyone taxes or obey any sort of laws that they don't necessarily want to. They've co-opted the governments of nations. They've bought and sold politicians and social movements. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like if you actually even look at something like a Facebook or a Twitter, they, they've privatized the public space. You know, and and so you actually look at what's happened and it's, it's so much more nightmarish than even the most frightening headlines, mm-hmm. because this whole thing was a lie from the very beginning, but it's a lie that has gotten just unbelievably out of control. Mm-hmm. And for for most of us, and, and again, I was able to do this because I was able to put across the time, I have the education, I have the contacts, I understand how to do research and put together narratives. Um and on top of that I had a publisher pay me to do it. Mm. Like most people don't have the time. Yeah, you're incredibly it, privileged really. Yes, I am. And yeah. and 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 on top of that like <clears throat> I've spent a lot of my life studying a lot of this stuff. Like you know, I wrote this book and 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 one thing that we haven't even talked about yet is global neoliberal economics mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to grasp by design yeah. asking my family who by the way has been radicalized by conspiracy theories trumpism mm-hmm. QAnon, you name it they don't have the time to do that they don't have the educational background to do that they couldn't afford college if they had to right and so the narratives that they get the noble lie has started to you know, fall apart, they have new lies, they have new stories, and that's being filled in by these really insidious conspiracy theories that have always precipitated fascist uprisings, violence, anti-democratic actions, and basically societies eating themselves. And so when you actually strip away the big lie, you realize how big and giant and complicated it is, but those conspiracy theories and lies sweep in and just cover them up and make them, you
1: know, more digestible, but also more dangerous. Well, yeah, you mentioned corporations, how powerful they're getting. I mean, and obviously the sort of 1%, these mega billionaires, they have so much power, so much influence. And I was thinking of you the other day, cause you spent a lot of time in the book talking about Ronald Reagan. That was, I think that's a, a watershed sort of presidency because this is what Kurt Anderson says. He, Reagan was the first performer as president. He, he yep. didn't have a policy. There. He had and no I think, clue. Yeah. He, he could read lines. He could read a speech and deliver it brilliantly. But when when reporters would press him on actual policy, he couldn't explain sure. anything. You know, But the thing was, is the Republican Party, you say in the book, they kind of turned over a lot of their legislative stuff to the Heritage Foundation, which was founded by Paul Wyrick. And I'm thinking that is obviously a big factor even today, because I don't know if you saw this thing on the news just the other day it was leaked that this woman from the heritage action which is another lobbying arm of heritage foundation they're the ones crafting right now these re- uh, restrictive voter laws state by state by state they're just handing them to republican governors and state legislature legislators and they're 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 getting passed and that all goes back to a guy like reagan and the gop who just said let's just ha- hand this over to these political action committees and lobbying groups and special interest groups, they're still doing it right now, today. It's, it's happening right now.
0: Yeah, and and real fast before I get into the Reagan part of it, I think it's necessary to go back to to Woodrow Wilson mm-hmm. and Woodrow Wilson, who was um, you know uh, he, he was a political scientist. He, he was well, a PhD. He was Yeah, he was basically one of the creators of the administrative state that we understand now. And Wilson was, again, not just a white supremacist, but he was an absolute classist. And Mm -hmm. he believed that the emerging system of government that was taking place in the 20th century, that it was a giant machine. And he thought it was most important that it would be a maze that most people would never understand. He wanted mm-hmm. them to look at it and feel like it was giant and ever present, but they could never, ever manipulate the gears. Mm. That should be left for technocrats. That should be left for specialists. That should be left for the smarter, more educated the experts. Uh, read into that however yeah. you want, which is the white ruling. Exactly. Elite. That's what he believed. So let's move <laughs> forward into 1980 with Ronald Reagan.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: by the time 1980 rolls around there is a uh, a revolution of mind and idea that takes place and this is it which is ronald reagan had no idea what he was doing Mm -hmm. at all he loved being in front of the camera oh he He did well you know he when he said the slogans and stuff like he was not a deep thinker he was inspired by them and he, he treated it like an actor but meanwhile what had happened was starting in the 1970s the right made a decision, which is that they had to form a new project and they end up calling this um, this counterintelligentsia. And basically there was a period after Nixon where the Republican party and the right, they were like, we may never win another election again. We're in trouble mm-hmm. because of what has just occurred. And so what we need to do, um, you know, in the 1960s, 1970s, we get our asses handed to us by the academy by higher education, by experts. And they said, the facts aren't on our sides. The studies aren't on our side. None of this stuff is going to help business people make money. And that's the heart of it is it was a lot of what we would call libertarian, wealthy influences like the Koch brothers. And so what do they do? They're like, well, we can either basically get our lunch handed to us for the rest of our lives, or we can invest millions, if not billions of dollars into creating an infrastructure for ourselves. So what they do is they create, God knows how many think tanks, like the Heritage Foundation. They start putting together all of these institutes, right? They put, put out like, professional sounding press releases that like help them make money. Um, This is also the time where, by the way, they knew back then that global climate change was going to be a problem. I mean, the energy companies knew that before anybody because of course they did. They had the best scientists (laughs) on their payroll. So they were like, we gotta get out ahead of this thing. We have to put out all these different conflicting ideas. So by the time Reagan comes along, that counterintelligentsia was ready to go online. And it Mm -hmm. flipped on. And so what ends up happening, particularly with Reagan, is politics shifts from being about the running of the government and sort of taking care of projects to it becomes a PR front all of a sudden now politicians are characters Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're on tv they need to have larger than life personalities they're going to have feuds like professional wrestlers and and so what ends up happening is tv and 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 popular culture it starts revolving around these public relations figures who have no idea what they're signing they have no idea what they're pushing what they're advising and eventually you reach a point now where Nobody in Congress is reading anything that they're yeah. –
1: pe- at all. Well, look they, at they Matt have, Gates. He's the, he's the poster child for what you just described, isn't he? He's, right. He wants and to so, be on Fox News. <laughs> he's never and, there. He doesn't and know and what, what he's talking about. <laughs>
0: and what ends up happening is these politicians start becoming characters on cable news. Mm-hmm. They, and this is, of course, how you get to Donald Trump, but it's also how you get to the point where – I'm, I'm sorry, but post-2020 – Has been madness. Like, we're not even talking. We're not talking about like trying to stamp out this pandemic forever. We're not trying to fix the economic situation. We're talking about Mr. Potato Head. We're Dr. Seuss. Dr. Seuss. Cancel culture. And by the way, like, if anybody wants to really like pull their hair out, the Dr. Seuss phenomenon is the perfect example of what's happening in politics now. Mm -hmm. The Republican Party says Dr. Seuss is being "quote unquote" canceled by the left, when it was Dr. Seuss's company deciding yeah. to take certain books out of print. It was so there, what yeah, the right do? Right. So what does the right do to show their disapproval? They buy Dr. Seuss books from the company that pulled the books from the shelves, meaning. <laughs> that they're protesting by giving money to the people that they're actually protesting. And what ends up happening, and this is, uh, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, the, the bow on this, what ends up happening is, as people lose political influence, as our votes lose importance, as government moves away from the individual and from representing the individual, all we're left with is the identity of politics, the spectacle of politics. You can buy a t-shirt that shows your politics. Mm-hmm. You can you know, constantly brand yourself on social media as having a certain type of politics. Um, politics determines what sneaker you'll buy, what cola you'll drink. And now we're not talking about making anyone's lives better. We're talking about an expression of personal politics that may or may not be real, which is, the inevitable evolution of a country that would lead to Ronald Reagan and this counterintelligentsia. It was all about
1: turning it into a product all along. As you say, there's so many parallels between Trump and Reagan, aren't there? I was a total Reaganite. I saw him in Seattle in 1984. I went to a campaign rally when I was in high school, and I was a young Republican evangelical man. I loved it. I worshipped Reagan. I thought he was great. And I think now you think, shit, man, he, he was a liar. He lied reflexively, as Trump did and still does. You know, he had no pol- he didn't have a policy, but he was so good in front of the cameras. I mean, Trump he was good at I guess in his and his rallies. You know, people ate his his nonsense up at his Trump rallies. And then you think, okay, what's where's the Republican Party going now? We've got things like okay, crickets on Matt Gates, unfolding scandal. We got Marjorie Taylor Green, Lauren Boebert. They've just kicked Liz Cheney out for refusing to go along with the big lie and on and on and on. I mean, where is this thing going for the Republican Party? Uh, No, we're good. I I, I mean, it's, um,
0: you know, the the whole point here, the Republican Party, you know, a lot of people get a little misty-eyed and they look at the sepia-toned Reagan stuff and they're like, that's when it meant something. Mm. And the truth is the Republican Party has always said that they're pro-life, they're fiscally and socially conservative, they're pro troop all this stuff. They weren't any of those things. And when you look at Reagan, like, you know, they have this idea of who he was. He ran up crazy deficits like and, and they've never been fiscally conservative. They don't want to give money to stuff they don't agree with. They want to starve out programs that help people that don't vote for them, namely, you know, poor people and people of color. Well, on top of that, Reagan wasn't actually like Christian. Reagan was actually an occultist. <laughs> I know he and, was. No, he was totally he was. Nancy he was, like was a Stanley Hall, astrologers, <laughs> yeah. all this occultish stuff that occasionally yeah. mixed in with like millenarian Christianity. But his whole idea was completely antithetical to what the Republican Party has lifted him up to be. They are a party with no principles. I mean, mm. they, they really don't have any direction that they want to go except for they want to win elections and as they become increasingly unpopular they are historically unpopular yeah. what they're going to do is they're going to reject democracy as they're already doing they're, they're doing going to now. disenfranchise yeah. people which is what they're doing and what we're watching and um this is going to sound alarmist but it's not what we're watching with people like marjorie taylor green and with lauren Boebert, and you know for years we've seen ads of them shooting semi-automatic rifles mm. at like legislation and their rivals and talking yeah. about going into congress with their guns this goes back into the 1860s and 1850s right where you see as the writing is on the wall that you're not going to win elections anymore and things aren't going to go your way you start going towards violence which is yeah. how you have an attempted coup at the capitol which is how you start believe and, and if you don't believe an election can be carried out legally why participate in elections anymore yep why and you're already seeing them come out and say it. i mean tucker carlson said they will elect an open fascist in the next 10 years and he it was like yeah absolutely that's what's going to happen mm. and they are descending into utter fascistic madness but this is what happens with countries like america as they start to fall apart and i just want to put a little bit of hope out there because that is a very dismal Yeah, it's pretty answer. gloomy But I will say that I think the answer to how to handle it is that you have to actually admit what's going on. You can't hide behind American exceptionalism and say that fascism could never happen here or the Republicans are just acting, they'll come out of it. You can't do that. You have to look it in the face. And the other part is, as this old system crumbles, this is an incredible opportunity. It's a crossroads. Mm -hmm. If the old way is crumbling, then that means... You either die under the rubble or you get out of there and you mm-hmm. figure out something. And that system wasn't good to begin with. That system was oppressive and, and exploitive and cruel and inhuman. In Find something else. Cause it's ripe right now. Like this, this veneer that we were talking about, it's like the illusion is fading. The hologram is flickering out mm-hmm. and that gives us the opportunity as history shows us to, to chart a new course, to do something
1: really revolutionary and kind of awesome. Absolutely. And as you say, history does repeat itself, doesn't it? Or it rhymes, as the saying goes, because off the back of World War I, they could say that we were stabbed in the back. They had then an enemy. They could scapegoat someone. That gives rise to a guy like a Hitler. He's got an, an, an enemy to vilify, and look where it ended up for Germany and the rest of the world, and they have, now they've got the Trump's big lie. They won't let it go, will they? And they've turned around and censured and, and booted Marjor- or uh, Liz Cheney, for not going along with it. So wh- that tells you everything about where they're heading or trying to head right now. Well, and, and this was something
0: that a lot of us were trying to warn people about because mm-hmm. I think I think Donald Trump was such a disgusting abomination that a lot of people thought, well, if we can just weather the next four years and get to the other side of it and repair the damage, it'll be okay.
1: Yeah, we
0: can make but it right pro- again. Yeah, But the problem with that is that you don't get to Donald Trump because things were fine. Donald Trump is a symptom of a much larger disease. Uh, A a well working culture does not elect a Donald Trump president. A a, a healthy, like sustaining culture doesn't allow Donald Trump to even get a whiff of the presidency. Mm -hmm. Um, This big lie was almost inevitable. Uh, we, we saw it coming. He, he said back in 2016 yeah. he wasn't going to accept it. It's true. Yeah. We, knew, we knew where it was coming and where it was going. What we're seeing now is that the poison pill of Trumpism, they didn't just swallow it. They're overdosing on it. Mm-hmm. And that means that they're going full bore into this thing. And the real danger, and a lot of us have been trying to warn people about this because I know right now is a honeymoon period. Everyone feels so much better not having to look at Donald Trump. Everyone feels so much better not having to listen to him and and be constantly abused by him. They haven't had any scandals yet. Right. So I understand that it feels really, really good to pretend like things are better, but Mm -hmm. what the right is looking at right now is armed with the big lie they can reject democracy in totality. And this direction that they're going in almost ensures... Whoever follows Trump and, and, and for all the things we want to say about Trump, he was incompetent. He was in, he was transparent and he yeah. was more or less untalented. There were a couple of things that Trump was talented at, but not many. Whoever comes next, more than likely will be more disciplined, more competent, and actually ideological. Trump got up and said a bunch of shit to yeah. make money and gain power off the of people. Whoever comes next, more than likely will believe it. And if that's they the believe danger. it, if they believe it, that's when you start getting into like a really dangerous thing, particularly, I mean, our economy is falling apart. People don't want to talk about it, but this economy is not long for this world. It's not doing well. And then on top of it, Global climate change, whether or not we make giant changes in order to avoid this big giant problem, um, it's still going to have side effects. There's still going to be consequences. Mm-hmm. We're going to deal, you, you, like, look at how we treated refugees already. We sterilized them. You know, we separated mm-hmm. them, threw them into cages. If you think that's bad, wait until resources start becoming scarce when you start having refugees, str- like, streaming over the border, and we'll see how we treat them the third thing and this is um this is something that i think a lot of us are starting to really um i would say wrap our heads around but almost like um repel in horror is that um there is a second cold war brewing with china and it doesn't matter who you listen to and this is on not just the republican party but the democratic party it it, it's in all of the statements Right, and, and on one side, it's like, no, maybe we should go ahead and bomb them because they gave us coronavirus. And on the other side, it's like, we will compete with them. And it's like, okay, we are changing the Overton window here. And that was going to happen. If you start getting into a scenario where America becomes a second class power, and it certainly seems mm. like we are destined right now to become a second class power, all of those different elements coming together, it only creates further radicalization especially if you don't take care of the economic and the political problems that underlie this country. So
1: it is a, it's still a really dangerous moment. It really is. Well, I know we want to end on a high note, but I don't know if there is a high note. But listen, I know we got to go. It's been about an hour. This has well, been a really say, amazing uh, discussion. Can you give us mid- some hope?
0: <laughs> I'll give you the hope, which is okay.
1: Lay it we're, having,
0: we're having this conversation. That's true. You know, you brought up um, back in the 80s, you know, being like an evangelical, mm-hmm. like Reaganite. Like, I, I, grew, I grew up in like a town. I, I grew up in like a, a white identity Christian type cult. And, you know, I believed that America was perfect and the New World Order was coming after us and Satan was around every door. The idea that you and I would be having this conversation about actual history, about actual events, that's kind of miraculous, like an actual miracle. And to hear people start to understand this stuff, to start to traffic in actual information, that only happens as that illusion flickers. And if, mm. if, the, if the weight and the gravity of that illusion flickers enough, obviously some people, I mean, people who still believe in it, they have to believe ridiculous things. That's true. They have to believe JFK Jr. is still alive. They have to believe in time travel. They have to believe in all of this madness. If that's what it takes to believe in that old idea, then that means that a lot of us are coming around to something larger, more profound and truer. Mm. And if that's the case, I do have a lot of hope. I actually do because humanity, humanity pushes back. It actually does. And I, 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 I have hope. I have hope.
1: Yeah, I do too. I, I I think you're right. It's not all doom and gloom is it? Because I've connect with people on Twitter, social media all the time, are leaving religion, not just evangelical Christianity like I did, but there's a huge growing movement out there, and that's becoming a big thing. And I'm thinking, okay, that, that can only be a good thing. I know we didn't really get into the religious piece, but obviously that's a huge part of this story. So I I don't know if we can come back maybe another time and go into the religion thing, but I lived my in here. I like I've I, I have rapture anxiety and everything.
0: Yeah, if I would have went back in time and told myself. Like you're going to be talking about this stuff with another ex-evangelical? Like I would have, I would have like got the shakes. You know what I mean? Like oh my god! Like I devil's just, got you. Right. <laughs> and I, I think that's right because I think the big lie throughout history is always conjoined. With religious faith. I mean, we didn't even get into the difference between revelatory knowledge and empirical knowledge, no. which is what we're dealing with now. Yeah, on one yeah. hand, you count the votes for the election. On the other, you hear a message from a specialized yeah. source that tells you, no, it doesn't matter what those votes say; you won. Yeah, and cyber ninja. Well, ninja. <laughs> yes, oh, <laughs> Arizona. Uh, looking for the shoes and all of that, <laughs> but, but all of those yeah. things are based in revelatory
1: religious thinking yeah and there 's a reason these things traffic together, yeah and hopefully why more people are getting out i 'm not anti religion but it's it 's caused yeah. a lot of damage and it's it 's gone hand in glove, like you say the christian nationalist piece that that 's a huge part of this whole story which we didn't really get into, but that's my sort of specialty. That's what I research. So I'm fascinated to find out more about that. So have you ever, um, just a real quick little anecdote, because I feel like this is the place to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Have you ever
0: heard of the Protestant revolution in Maryland? Um, no, I haven't. Oh, this is great. So, okay. So, uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and start with england with the glorious revolution of 1688 right. which let, let me tell you the british do not like me talking about they they're very they're they're yeah. very proud of the glorious revolution they, mm-hmm. they enjoy it but they don't want to talk about how the popish plot played a role in that and how like fear that like secret new world order type conspiracies led to the dutch invading britain anyway moving along over in america those same conspiracies, the popish plot, the fear of the French, the fear of the Pope led to an uprising in Maryland in 1689. And so they formed a complete insurrection and tell me if this sounds familiar. They mm. overran the Capitol. They got rid of the leaders and they formed a pro Protestant government that outlawed <laughs> Catholicism in Maryland until the founding of the United States of America. Mm. It's the same thing over and over. And it all traffics in that difference between revelatory knowledge Mm -hmm. that comes to you from God on high. And only you can hear, weirdly enough, oh, God tells me this is okay, so I get to do this versus empirical knowledge. And so everything that we're dealing with here is exactly like you're saying. It's fine to have spirituality. It's fine to be sure. religious. It's when it encroaches upon the liberties and freedoms and, and shared space of
1: others, which is what mm. we're talking about right now. Yeah, And that's, like you say, the Christian hegemony, the dominion theology piece, all that stuff is all part and parcel, isn't it? Well, listen, I love talking to you. I could go on for another couple hours, but I know you've got to go. For that one or two persons that, that are, don't know how to find you on social media, can you really quickly tell us where's the best place to get a hold of you on social media? Uh, unfortunately, Twitter. Um, <laughs> I don't like it. Eat but that's, machine. Uh, you know, it's, it's you gotta, I mean, do it, though. You gotta
0: be a ghost in some machine. Right. But yeah, I am on Twitter at J Y Sexton. Uh, if anybody's interested, I have the muckrake podcast that comes out uh, every Tuesday
1: and I have a sub stack uh, called dispatches from a collapsing state. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, Jared, thank you so much once again for talking to me. Uh, hopefully we can do this again. I always love talking to you. It's great to hear your ideas. Hopefully you finish your next book and we'll buy that next one. Hopefully we can have a discussion around that too. <sighs> I'm learning. <already exhausted. laughs> you live time. tired. All right. Thank you so much, Cheryl. I'll speak to you soon. Bye, right, buddy.